Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A historic legal settlement brings a land dispute more than a century and a half old to a close. It involves four northern tribes and the legal case against the federal government alone took more than three decades. The tribes will split nearly $60 million to compensate for the government's bad faith in treaties that took native land. We'll find out the significance of this treaty and what it means for other land disputes. That's all coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A federal commission has issued its recommendations to help tribal communities, federal agencies, and law enforcement to respond to missing and murdered indigenous people. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton has more. According to federal crime data, American Indians and Alaska Natives go missing or are murdered at higher rates than their white counterparts. Many cases go unsolved. Congress passed the Not Invisible Act in 2020. The bill formed a federal commission made up of tribal leaders, federal agencies, families, and survivors. The commission held several hearings across the country to get input from tribal communities. The commission issued numerous recommendations. It called for more federal funding for tribal police and changes to federal laws that limit tribal police investigations. It also called for more training and collaboration between tribal, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. Federal agencies have 90 days to respond to the commission's recommendations. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. A new report from Canada's Corrections Watchdog says there are still too many Indigenous people in the country's prisons. Dan Karpinchuk reports. Correctional investigator Ivan Zinger says over the past decade, the problem has become significantly worse. In his latest report, Zinger says 32% of all federal inmates across the country, as well as 50% of the women, are Indigenous. That's compared to 25% 10 years ago. And he says the system still bears many of the lingering hallmarks of colonialism, which, Zinger adds, contributes to the marginalization, criminalization, and over-imprisonment of Indigenous people in Canada. The discriminatory treatment of Indigenous persons in federal custody was among the first set of issues raised by my office when it was created 50 years ago. In the decades that follow, my office has issued more than 70 recommendations specific to Indigenous corrections. Sadly, most of these calls have gone unanswered. And Zinger says the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in federal custody continues to widen. It is difficult to escape the conclusion that the correctional system perpetuates conditions of disadvantage and discrimination that contributes to such a disproportional incarceration rate. In his report, Zinger urges the transfer of federal-operated healing lodges to local authorities. He is also calling for a national strategy of Indigenous decarceration and better support for Indigenous elders who work within the correctional system. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Coquel Tribe says it's landed one of the biggest competitive grants ever in its history. KLCC's Brian Bull reports on the nearly $8 million from the U.S. Department of Transportation. The money will fund three phases of improvements to the Coquel Wharf near the Tribe's Mill Casino Hotel in North Bend. In short, dock repairs will be made to sections which have seen little or no work in 40 years. 
A 600 to 700 foot extension will be added as well. Ray Dellring, the project manager for the wharf, says the final piece is making electrical service available to large ships that dock there. What a lot of ports are doing now, and we're certainly want to be one of them, is providing electricity in heavy enough volume that they can turn off their diesel engines and connect to electricity here on the dock face. It'll be a lot cheaper, and it's a, a huge environmental improvement. Doring is with Tribal One, an organization that helps the Colquell tribe with economic development. He says there's potential in overseas commerce that this wharf improvement will support. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Skugtash, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived peppery beans, panoli, traditional wheat flowers, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Domnyot. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities Medal-winning radio show and podcast. Descendants of the Pembina Band of Chippewa are finally receiving compensation from a bogus land sale dating from the late 1800s. The $59 million settlement in the class action lawsuit is being distributed among more than 30,000 people from four different tribes. The original lawsuit 30 years ago claimed the federal government mismanaged funds held in trust since a 1964 decision in the tribe's favor. That decision relied on an 1863 treaty in which the federal government purchased 2.5 million acres from the Pembina Band in a deal that worked out to be about $0.08 cents an acre. Today we'll talk with those involved in the lawsuit, why it took 30 years to resolve, and what it might mean for other ongoing tribal land disputes with the federal government. We'd like to hear your thoughts on these matters. Join us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Belcourt, North Dakota, is Chairman Jamie Azure. He is the Tribal Chairman of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. Hello, Chairman. Great to have you on the show. Good morning. It's an honor to be here. In Boulder, Colorado, we're joined by Melody McCoy. She is a staff attorney for the Native American Rights Fund and a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Hi, Melody. Welcome back to NAC. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. And also joining us from the Turtle Mountain Chippewa Reservation in Belcourt, North Dakota, is Leslie Ann Wilkie Peltier. She is the lead plaintiff representative in Peltier v. Holland. She is Pembina of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. Hello, Leslie. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Good to talk with you. 
It's great to talk with you too, Leslie. And I'm going to go ahead and start with you because this suit is named for you as the lead plaintiff. It's taken three decades to reach a settlement. What does it mean to you personally, Leslie, to finally see it resolved? Personally, it is a great relief that we won the case. After all these years and all the people involved with it, including my ancestors, they're the ones that have passed on that had fought so hard for all this against the government. And uh, I feel really that we, we held it together, especially with the help of um, NARF lawyer Melody McCoy. Without her, we couldn't have gotten this far. Well, Leslie, when did your family first get involved in the lawsuit? Both my parents uh, returned home from uh, relocation in the 1960s, and by then the first treaty had been signed, I mean distributed, and it was very poorly uh, paid out. It was minimal. So they worked towards adequate payment from the 10th cent treaty, McCumber Agreement. We referred to it as the 10th cent treaty because we sold it for that low amount. Um, they, in turn, uh, established the Pemina, the Pemina Treaty Committee. And with that, many others joined in that believed that uh, by suing the government, we could reach a settlement that would be adequate. My mother, Elma Wilkie, as a matter of fact, she told me to come to with her to this meeting with Melody the first time I met her in 2004. And my father, who was deceased by then, Lawrence Wilkie, and his cousins and his um, uncles were all involved in the, in the settlement for the 10 cent treaty. That's John Wilkie, Leo Wilkie, um, Lawrence Wilkie. Uh, they were also joined by Emma and Joe Greatwalker. Um, and Francis Cree, Ernest Patnote, and Mary Cornelius was appointed by the Tribal Council to that committee to oversee the offsets against the 10 cent treaty. This was in uh, the Indian Claims Court, and they successfully uh, disputed those offsets, and it's with them that I, I feel my greatest bond, because they taught me how to go about this, how to stand strong, how to be brave, um, and believe, believe that this could change, our lives here could change. So I, we couldn't have done it without them. Today, um, I feel really uh, happy. I felt that way on September 20th, when the checks came out, and um, I stayed at home because I knew people would be uh, anxious to to know what was going on, and I and I didn't want to just uh, take credit for this. Like in our in our way, we don't stand up in front of people and say, "It's me, it's me." There were uh, 13. 15 class reps.
descendants, the sons and daughters of those previous ones I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So I have a great debt to all of them too. So, well, Leslie, you say you're very happy, and I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you and your people and these other class members as well. Uh, Thirty years. 30 years, that is a long, long time to wait for a settlement. So uh, I give you folks a a lot of props for staying in there, for hanging in there. Uh, Chairman Azure, uh, I'd like to bring you in now. And uh, the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa getting the largest sum of the settlement. Why is that? Uh, I believe it is our membership number. So the the amount of uh, tribal members that were... uh, part of the the actual lawsuit got it got it how significant uh is this settlement for your tribe well i think it's significant on many levels actually it's a uh you know we're talking about the mismanagement of of funds by the federal government that uh uh you know that were rightfully owned by our people and you know it's it's nice to get that little bit of a settlement that came back and you know to a portion of our tribe in this last couple months and especially this time of the year if uh you've ever been into north dakota right off the canadian border so the winters are a bit harsh to say the least here so it was a good time for this to all come through um also we're talking about the uh the uh, overview of everything you know, we're talking about a uh, a tribe that has successfully, you know, sued the federal government and won. You know, we're talking about uh, setting precedent for tribes moving forward. You know, we're not the only ones. You know, it's if you go to any uh, event where a tribal leader is speaking, it is amazing at how we can have 574 federally recognized tribes from all over this country. But at the same time, we have all the same macro issues. You know, the, the micro issues are what make us unique, but those macro issues are affect all of us. It's a, uh, you know, it's a it's a snapshot in history right now. You know, with these five tribes and and with the uh, our elders move forward with with uh, really making it known that they weren't going to lay down and let this happen anymore, and they wanted it to be uh, recognized. And then with the help of NARF, who has been a champion for Native Nation for over 50 years, and the uh, perseverance of everyone, including uh, even at the local level, this has spanned numerous tribal governments, you know, and that, that in itself is, a, uh, is quite the uh, accomplishment. But, right. You, know, all you folks those, stuck all with it, those, yeah. Absolutely. All of those things coming together, you know, to... Uh, you know, now we can talk about it on a on a Native Nation calling. You know, it's mm-hmm. I, I hope that people understand the significance of of this decision. Chairman, to hear Leslie describe it as a ten cent treaty and even adjusting for inflation, geez, that is just uh, a pittance for for purchasing that land. Fifty nine million dollars has been negotiated now for this settlement. Are you happy with that amount? I am happy that we we got a favorable judgment. I I would not be satisfied with the uh, the amounts, and I don't think that anybody that's uh, cited or on this phone call would say that that is a fair amount. 
but it is still one heck of an accomplishment to get this far. Mm -hmm. Today on our show, we have uh, Chairman Jamie Azure, Tribal Chair of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. We're also joined by Leslie Ann Wilkie Peltier. She is the lead plaintiff representative. In this case, Peltier versus Holland. It has taken decades to reach a conclusion, and we are learning about it today. We also have Melody McCoy from the Native American Rights Fund. She is a staff attorney, and she is our our legal legal insight here on today's show because this is uh, a big, big class action lawsuit that was settled, and we're going to get into it more on the other side of this break. We're going to learn more about the details of this lawsuit, uh, why it's taken so long, 30-plus years to reach a settlement. Uh, we're also going to learn a little bit more about uh, – the status of the Pimbana tribe and uh, how it relates to the current class members here that we're talking about. And anybody here that is listening to the show, perhaps you're listening on KEYA 88.5 FM in Belcourt, North Dakota. Maybe you are a member of this class for this class action lawsuit. If you have questions, if you have comments, or you just want to share how this issue impacts you and your family, our phone lines are open right now. We're at one 800 996-2848. Call in, share your thoughts, share your comments, ask your questions. We're waiting. An investigation by CBC Journalist presents documents and interviews that contradict the native identity narrative that notable singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie has maintained most of her life. That narrative has been a driving force in her almost 60-year career. We'll get perspectives on that conversation on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing a settlement that resolves a land dispute from 150 years ago. We also want to hear from anyone impacted by this settlement. If you're from Turtle Mountain, Chippewa Cree from Rocky Boy, White Earth, or Little Shell, what do you think? Is this a major step forward? For others, can you draw any parallels to your community from this lawsuit? Join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And a reminder, you can listen back to this show and past shows on all major podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leslie Ann Wilkie Peltier is on the line right now. She's the lead plaintiff representative in Peltier versus Holland. And Leslie, the settlement revolves around a dispute that originally involved the Pembina tribe. Can you tell us the status of that tribe and your relation? I am a direct descendant of the Pebana leaders. My uh, 
father's side was uh, goes back to Jean Baptiste Wilkie, who was the Ogima, the leader of the buffalo hunt. And on my mother's side, um, I was uh, I am a descendant of my great great grandfather, who was Pierre Lavager, and um, and also most importantly. Uh, a Pemina lady, my great-great-great-grandmother, Meshkamekishkuk. And it was the Pemina who um, hunted this land and worked uh, the Sweet Corn Treaty out with Chief Wanatan of the Sisseton Dakota people to divide the hunting grounds. So we have a historical... Uh, we have a historical connection that goes way back to this land. And the Pemina tribe was uh, in dispute with the government when they made the treaties. And um, when they put us on the reservation here, a tiny bit of leftover land, Ishko Day, that we say they, it's leftover land from our former hunting grounds, they changed our name to the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. We're still Chippewa, though. Mm-hmm. And there are still many Pemanas within this Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. It changed with treaty, treaties, I should say. Thanks for that clarification, Leslie. This is all fascinating history. I'm going to go ahead and take our first call of the day now. We have Wab Makwa from the Bear Clan listening on station KMHA. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, bonjour, Zachary King, Indigenous Cause, me, Anishinaabe, we salute Mabashki Makwa, Indigenous Cause, Makwa, and Nodem, Anishinaabe, and now Mekanak, Wajou, CP Singh, and Nunjiba. Wajou, I just wanted, this is Zachary King from Turtle Mountain, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to my Auntie Les from the uh, Thunderbird Lodge. Uh, thank you for everything you did, Auntie. I love you. I'm proud of you. Miss McCoy, Jamie, thank you for everything you guys did. I didn't get the check, but uh, thank you for, for everything you guys did, all your hard work. Very proud of you guys. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you for calling in there. Leslie, do you want to respond to, it sounds like your nephew on the line. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, Zach, I, I thank you for calling in today and for your beautiful uh, prayers and introduction. So I feel really close to you. Thank you. All righty. Anyone else with a question or comment? Phone lines are open, 1-800-996-2848. Chairman Azure, back to you now. Um, the United States purchased 2.5 million acres from the Pembinas for 8 or $0.10 cents an acre in this 1863 treaty. Can you comment on the treaty and its effect on the Turtle Mountain tribe at this time, at the time that it occurred and now all these years later? Well, it's a uh, it's a prime example of historical trauma, right? And uh, we're always talking about the the mistrust between the federal government and and tribes, and that uh, that absolutely involves the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. You know, I I actually fly out to Washington on Wednesday to uh, to provide testimony on behalf of the the fentanyl issues that we have in in all of our tribes. So it's you know. That distrust, I think, is the biggest uh, 
what we still deal with to this day, and it's a it's a trickle down effect. You know, it's a distrust with the tribes, with federal governments, with the uh, you know working together. Uh, you know, we still see that to this day. The ramifications of how difficult it is for a tribe to address you know issues that small town America are able to to address easily by by working together with different forms of government. Um, you know, we. Even our land base, we're uh, we're the only tribe that we're a small land base with a very large membership, and we're the only tribe with them demographics here within our North Dakota and South Dakota. So you know we still deal with a lot of the ramifications of of what happened with the uh, 10th century deer, the McCumber Agreement. Um, what I do like is that we have a very, uh, I think I'd mentioned earlier, a robust. Turtle Mountain Community College here in the Turtle Mountains that that Miss Leslie Peltier is a uh, is a a large uh, uh, person there that you know are teaching a lot of our histories now with uh, with uh, our people are finding out the real history of who we are and that's not always an easy discussion so. I am glad that there are so many of our young ones that are coming forward and they are finding out, they're asking the right questions, they're asking Leslie the right questions, they're they're standing behind, their, they understand uh, what it means to be in a tribe and how we got to be where we are. And you know, it's a famous old saying that in order to move forward, we have to understand how we came to be. And I think that's where we are right now is, is the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, no, that was a good answer, Chairman. And, and and going back again, you know, it's it's taken so long. Why so many delays? Why did it have to take more than thirty years? Uh, have you worked with the uh, federal government? <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like the for every every little inch, and you know, this is. This is true with a lot of tribes and a lot of uh, demographics that you have to keep pushing. You need to keep moving every single day. You have to get up every day and decide that you're going to push forward because the day that you get up and you just stand still, you're losing ground. And that's how I feel working with the federal government. I'm in my seventh year in tribal government and you know it's been the same from day one to uh, this morning that, you know, the every every piece of bureaucracy will be used against us you have to have that mentality so we need to be we need to set the example and continue to move forward and that is uh that's the same in life as it is with the tribe and you know that's how we need to move forward every single day thanks chairman melody mccoy again staff attorney for the native american rights fund melody thank you again for joining us and uh Let's talk a little bit more about this case, Peltier versus Holland. How is it unique? And, and can you point to any comparable cases uh, right now anywhere in Indian country? Um, I think the important thing about the, the Pembina cases is that, you know, they, they were filed because the tribe leaders of the modern day successors to the historic Pembina band, like like Turtle Mountain, knew that they had strong claims. So when this case was filed in 1992, if you jump forward 20 years, over 100 more tribes had filed similar claims against the United States for breach of trust, for failure to account 
for their trust funds and for resource mismanagement of the resources and the funds and the revenues that those generate. So, I mean, this case was filed four years before the historic Cobell case. Um, I think it's really had an impact in 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 its own way to hold the government accountable. Um, as as was said, you know, it's not perfect. It was it was about additional money, um, not about getting the land back or or any other, anything else, but just about more money. Um, but yeah, many other. I mean, in, any tribe that has had the United States government as a trustee probably needs to, you know, take a look and see if it has legal claims because the United States as trustee has not been a good performer, and we knew that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I commend the Pembinas for for launching this. Um, I think it it really did make a difference. Well, that's what I. I can't get over. I mean, are we just going to continue to see these lawsuits pertaining to federal mismanagement of trust assets? Because 15 years ago, there was so much, so much attention with the Cobell settlement. And then you had a number of other smaller but similar lawsuits around that same time. I mean, it doesn't sound like these are going to stop anytime soon, Melody, if if every tribe should at some point look into uh, into their history and see if there isn't some irregularities or some mismanagement that uh, could be due for redress. Yeah, I mean, again, just if, if one understands the history of the Indian Claims Commission, there were 600 petitions by tribes um, over treaties in which tribes had been cheated. And so there were about 600 awards from the Indian Claims Commission. The Pembina one was the second or third largest, but many other tribes got awards from the Indian Claims Commission. And of course, rather than paying those tribes directly, the, the U.S. government continued to hold those funds in trust. Okay. And that's where the mismanagement came. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes on and on. As long as the government is the trustee, I, I, I would advise tribes to, to monitor that and see. Now, the Indian Claims Commission, the ICC, established in 1946, and Congress did admit to the dishonorable nature of many of these treaties. What changed, Melody, after forming the ICC? Well, it took a long time. I mean, it was an extraordinary – the Indian Claims Commission had its limits, but it was an extraordinary um, acknowledgement, as you say, by the United States government that tribes in the United States had been cheated by the United States in the, in the land transactions, that they were underpaid for those. All the Indian Claims Commission could do was award additional money. It could not restore the land back. That's, that's a separate issue. But the, um, the Indian Claims Commission made a lot of, you know, billions of dollars of awards to tribes as additional compensation. Um, I think, again, you know, the lesson is that Rather than paying the tribes directly, most of those awards were – many of those awards were held in trust again, and that just exacerbated the historical problem because the U.S. has been holding funds in trust for tribes since the early 19th century and had never accounted for those funds to tribes or to anyone, um, but to the beneficiaries. It had never accounted, and so the the lawsuits – I mean the, the frustration that, that tribe leaders Broad, especially after the Indian Self-Determination Act in, in the 70s, tribe leaders began to turn their attention to these historical trust funds 
and, and demanded an accounting. And of course, the United States government could not do that. They were incapable of accounting for the, the inflows and outflows of these funds, let alone for the investment management of them or the collection mm-hmm. of the resources on them. So there were so many issues. Of course, and Melody, President... I'm sorry, yeah. I mean, why was that? Why, why were they so inept with some of these fiduciary responsibilities, the accounting, the record keeping? I, I, I mean, can you point to, to any specific factor or reason why they just so horrendously failed in that responsibility? Far be it for me to speak for the federal government, but I think it's because the beneficiaries were Indians. When the United States doesn't act as trustee for any other beneficiary except for maybe Social Security, but you know the United States government knows full well how to keep records. Um, I think they just didn't take it very seriously when it came to Indians, mm-hmm. and, and they thought they could continue to get away with that. But tribes like Turtle Mountain continued to press for the um, the needed accountability. Um, and a lot of people ask me, you know, I, I worked on many of the settlements of other tribes cases from the uh, President Obama administration. And people ask me, you know, are, are things any better? And the short answer is, I don't know. Um, you know, again, the United States continues to serve as trustee. Um, and and they, they say, you know, that they're, they're first and foremost the United States government, and secondly, that they're the trustee. So if you really want, you know, a full-blown equivalent of a private sector trustee, you're not going to get that likely from the federal government. Um, but for a long time, tribes had no choice. Um, these days they have a choice. Sometimes it comes with a price to take your funds uh, out of trust from the federal government and have a private trustee management. Um, but the main thing is the historical liability. That's what needed to be addressed. And, mm-hmm. and, and cases like the Pembina and, and the Obama settlements um, do address some of that. Again, you know, they, they are uh, negotiated settlements. Um, but we knew from the start, the accounting and, and investment experts that we hired and retained to, to look at the Pembinas, they knew from the start back in 1992 how much this case was worth. It just took us um, about 25 years to get the United States government to realize that. Um, okay. But I remember, I remember the, and I commend the, the Pembinas for their patience and perseverance because they turned down earlier settlement offers that didn't match with what we knew the case was worth. And, and even the settlement judge, I can't go into the nature of this, but even the settlement judge was surprised. Um, but uh, they, they held out until, until the, the United States government finally reached a level that was acceptable uh, for a settlement of the claims in this case. So we'll never know what would have happened if the case had gone to trial. Um, but we do know, you know what, what, what the results of the negotiated settlement were. All right. Melody, you mentioned a minute ago uh, the option for tribes to to take that money out of trust and, and have uh, a private trustee. But if they do that, correct me if I'm wrong, they're they're going to have to pay fees for that because that is one benefit of having the federal government as the trustee is they don't pay fees as opposed to if it's managed by the private sector. Am I right on that? I think that's right. Um, there's there's and and the other thing, of course, is there's a lot more 
um, you know, personal uh, responsibility on the part of the beneficiary. Um, if if you're with a private trustee, um, there's not there's not that same level of that if the United States government is your trustee. And I also respect. I mean, it's you know, the I respect tribal sovereignty. I mean, that means so much. But the essence of it is the ability to make your own good decisions. Um, and so you know, uh, tribes have a choice. And I understand those who, with all the, the problems, as Chairman Azure alluded to, of working with the federal government, there's something about the promises between the federal government and tribes that were made in treaties and, and for the lands that, that this country occupies. And I understand full well tribe leaders who say, all right. We're not going to let Melody, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take a short break, but we will be right back. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you have questions or comments on the Pimbana lawsuit, share them on the air by calling 1-800-996-2848. And let's take a caller right now and say hello to Sandra, who is listening online in Turtle Mountain. You're on the air, Sandra. Hi, uh, Buju Anin. This question is for Leslie and and some of what I um, wanted to ask about uh, the um, uh, McCall. Miss 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 McCall already answered, but Le- Leslie, can you talk about a little bit about the language barriers that? We would have, our our, tri- our our ancestors would have been uh, um, having, and the language barriers that I think we still have with the United States government. Thank you, Sandra. Um, Leslie, feel free to respond. I think Sandra's question pertains to what kind of language barriers or challenges uh, did your people face when entering into that treaty 150 years ago, and, and does it still impact uh, negotiations today? I I believe it does still affect us. <clears throat> One of the things that we have to realize about our people is we speak at least three different languages here. Um, there is, of course, uh, our oldest language, the Ojibwe language, and then uh, that was our ancestors' language. And then we intermarried with Cree when we came out onto the prairie. So the Cree language, we picked that up too. And it blended in with the Ojibwe. They have many similar words, uh, at least the nouns. There's a lot of nouns that are similar. And then when the fur trade industry started, then we picked up the French. And from those three, it evolved into what we have today among our elders, my elders, the the Michif language. And I didn't say Métis, which is up in Canada. I said Michif, and that's the correct way to say it here. 
So, yes, but getting to the treaty negotiations, and it's going on today, um, during that time in the early 19th century, we had to act through uh, the interpreters that were in the employment of the army or the commissioners that came to negotiate the treaties. And there was a lot of misunderstanding. It had to be reinterpreted according to who was asking the question and what the response was. So it took quite a bit a longer to understand a point. And that's why our people were very patient when they negotiated with the government, and very careful and, and very discerning to know that when they're speaking the truth and not speaking the truth. There was a lot of it, and I'm glad you brought that question up, Sandra. Thank you. Mm. Did I answer it? Yeah, yeah, great answer, Leslie. Um, and, and that makes me curious. I mean, listening to Melody earlier, and there are many other legal cases against the federal government involving land and treaty disputes. And what advice do you have, Leslie, for, for other tribes uh, interested in taking up those cases or engaged in, in prolonged legal battles with the federal government? Because your folks have been in this from, you've been in this really from day one. Uh -huh. I would say um, <clears throat> find a good lawyer, <laughs> number <laughs> <Okay>. one, <laughs> and, uh, and be honest with each other. I mean, uh, support one another, too, and uh, find the people that really care about the future, not for the immediate money. Take it slowly, if you can, and you'll come to the right um, place in your heart that we did. If it wasn't for uh, our spirituality here, our traditional ways, I don't think our prayers would have been answered as easily. Our traditional ways helped us through all these years and through all the losses of our elders. With them, um, they never left us, and we believed in that. They were standing right with us as we talked in court and when we went through uh, negotiations and when we met even over Zoom, although my mother didn't like uh, computers, but uh, uh, use everything you can and blend it with spirituality, your traditional ways, and mm -hmm. the Creator will help you. I, I firmly believe that for everything in life. The creator I think we all believe that, Leslie, certainly. Yes. Chairman Azure, anything to add? What do you want Turtle Mountain citizens to understand about this case? You know, it's, it was actually kind of an easy call if you go back to what Leslie's uh, talking about. I mean, you have a, uh, if you understand the history, you make the decisions, you listen to our elders. Uh, you know, if you have a list of everyone from Leslie Peltier to Carol Ann Davis, uh, Judge Andy Lavager, you know, all of these names, you know, come forward and they want the tribal government to do something, you're going to listen. Then you reach out, you seek the help, you know, you, you uh, reach out to the professionals like NARF, and that's not an easy thing for, for Native people to ask for help. So that was another big step. And then we move forward with 
you know, the follow through, you know, and everything we do, we do for that next generation. So you can take this, this decision and this uh, treaty settlement as a, uh, an example of who we are, you know, understand our history, make the decisions, seek the right help. Everything we do, every decision we make is the benefit that next generation. So now that's where we are to make sure that, that this decision benefits the next generations. And I think that's where uh, Ms. Peltier was talking about, uh, don't make hasty decisions. You know, how do we, how do we utilize this to uh, provide opportunity for the next generations that are coming in, the next tribal governments, the next elders, uh, and uh, really, uh, I think that's really what our ancestors would be proud of right now. All right. Melody, where can people learn more about the Pembina Settlement? It's possible we have class members listening right now. Yes, and um, the um, well, first of all, there's a there's a settlement administration website, um, and that's um, I think it's www.pembenasettlement.com, and then the Native American Rights Fund also has a website www.narf.org, and there's some information on there about the Pembina Settlement too. Obviously, in in the three decades we've had time to do some write-ups about the case so um i think those are posted on the on our on narf's website as well um but we really appreciate native america calling too um doing things like this um you know the the uh um the attention um that this gets and, and so also so that accurate information um about the case is is you know available Thank you, Melody. And and tell us, when did you first become involved in the case, and um, how's it been? I mean, how many years? Well, I was assigned the case in 1996, 10 years after I started working at the Native American Rights Fund. I didn't know anything about breach of trust claims, but I knew this was a good one. And the attorney that filed the case, Richard Dufinay, who was a NARF attorney who happened to be a Turtle Mountain tribe member, um, he left the firm to go to work for the United States government. So the case was transferred to me, um, and I had to quickly get up to speed on this. Um, and it kind of launched my uh, efforts. And so breach of trust cases by tribes against the United States. Historical breach of trust became one of my big areas of, of practice. Um, but uh, this case was kind of unto its own because it involved four, four tribes, um, about 40,000 individuals, um, and it involved monies that the government had actually distributed after the lawsuit was filed. So there were all kinds of um, kind of unique complications. This case wasn't, I mean, it, it, the claims were strong, but there were some complexities too that, mm-hmm. um, that weren't present in other cases. Now, as Leslie mentioned earlier, uh, checks came out on September 20th, and I know that different class members can expect different settlement amounts, but have all, have all the checks been, been paid yet, or are there still some folks that uh, could be waiting on checks? Well, this, this is Melody. This, the short answer is it's my understanding that the first round of checks has gone out. Over 30,000 checks were sent out. Um, on or about September 20th. The last account I heard is that 
over two-thirds of those, so just over 20,000, have been cashed and cleared. Um, others have been returned, and there will be a reissue of checks sometime later this year, probably in about another month to six weeks, and then there likely may even be a third round. Um, a lot of those are, you know, name changes, address changes that need to be cleared up and that. Um, the, the settlement agreement in this case provides that after the conclusion of all the, the checks, um, the send-outs of the checks and, and a, a reconciliation of that, the undistributed settlement proceeds in this case um, will um, be transferred to the four Pembina tribes, and then the four tribes will immediately transfer those to the charities designated by the class representatives in this case. So um, for um, they will go to uh, things like the um, elders nutrition programs of the tribes, the veterans assistance programs of the tribe, and uh, I know Turtle Mountain, they will go to a, a, a scholarship program at the Turtle Mountain Community College um, for Pembinas. So that none of the undistributed proceeds in this case will go to the American Rights Fund. None of them will go to the settlement administrator. None of them will certainly not go back to the United States government. They will go to the designated charities. Okay. Melanie, just curious, how does NARF get paid when you folks do these big legal cases like this? I, I'm, I'm just interested. Well, it varies. Since the 1980s, of course, 10 years after NARF was founded, um, we've had a, a, a fee paying policy, meaning that if tribes can or, or our clients can pay us, um, we ask about that, but it's never a determinative factor. We always try to be there for tribes who have nowhere else to go. I mean, obviously, NARF's over 50 years. There's a lot more lawyers in, in business now um, for tribes um, than ever before. Um, so again, um, you know, tribes have a choice. But NARF tries to take on cases still um, of, you know, major national significance that raise common issues that affect all tribes. In this instance, because there was a negotiated settlement, um, that took into account um, the, the fees for NARF. Um, so 10% of the um, 59 million was, a, was for NARF's fees of the settlement. Mm -hmm. Well, Melody, going back to, you know, other future cases possibly or existing cases. I mean, what have you learned from this recent settlement that you're going to be able to apply going forward? Oh, my goodness. That would take another hour or day <laughs> for all the lessons learned from this one. Um, and, and I will say, you know, I always try to hold myself out as someone who's ready, willing, and able to, to listen and learn. But there were times when this one really tested me particularly the, um, the, shall we say, antics or conduct of the United States government throughout this case. Um, you know, again, I, I have to say, you know, it's been a real honor and a pleasure to work with the Pembinas. You know, their, their, their patience, their perseverance, um, you know, has, has always really Im impressed me. And, and I think if everyone had to do this case again, we would all um, have a, a, a huge learning curve from this one. I mean, there were just so many unexpected things. It, that that cropped up in this case that that haven't cropped up in some of my other cases. Um, so I you know I appreciate everything that I've learned. Um, but, you know there there probably won't ever quite be another case like this one. It's got some some nuances and complexities that are unique. 
On the other hand, um, you know, the, the idea of holding the United States government accountable for simple, basic things. I mean, you had $53 million awarded to the Pembinas in 1980. And then 10 years later, the government said, oh, you know, we've, we've doubled your money. We're going to distribute you $100 million. And the Turtle Mountain tribe said, wait a minute, how do we know that that's a good deal? How do we know that that's right? And we'll always be, you know, judged by those that come after us. Did we sell out? Did we, did we sell short? Um, in this instance, um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the result that was struck um, was a, a, a reasonable result. Um, so I, I, I don't know, you know, 100 years from now on Native America calling what, what people will think of this. Um, but I, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, again, it was, it was a reasonable result given everything we knew. Okay. Well, a hundred years from now on Native America calling, something tells me I won't be the host, uh, in a hundred years, but somebody will, somebody will, and, uh, they'll have some insights for sure. So really appreciate, uh, all of our guests who've joined us today, Chairman Jamie Azure, Leslie Peltier and Melody McCoy. We have now reached the end of our hour. We're going to have to wrap this show up. But anybody who wants to comment or continue the dialogue, check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook. We've got all those channels going, and we've been getting so many great comments about the show on social media. So please, folks, continue, continue the dialogue. And join us tomorrow as we take a look into recent revelations about the racial identity of award-winning singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie. Tune in. It'll be a good one. OCO, protect your health and wellness. Help your family and community stay healthy by making sure you and your loved ones are up to date on vaccines. RSV, seasonal flu, and COVID-19 booster vaccines are available now. For more information on vaccines, contact your Indian health care provider or visit vaccines.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.